in the morning when you need the news that matters most. We have a constitutional right to publish this story. We are the fourth estate and we will hold the powerful accountable. You need the front page. Wait, what's the fourth estate? Us, the press. And everyone knows that? On the press box. Because I feel like people always say the fourth estate, but they don't actually know what it means. I think everybody knows what it means. I thought the fourth estate was time. That's the fourth dimension. I thought the fourth estate was Georgia. With Graney and Bischoff. No, not state, a state. You thought I was saying we're the state of Georgia? Hold on, I gotta add a topic to the front page for you. Freddie Freeman hit his first home run as a Dodger against the Atlanta Braves last night. Oppo shot, barely <laughs> made it over the uh, fence, but it did. Bounced back in, and uh, nice swing. Nice swing. There's yeah. uh, Ed Graney hitting Oppo coach. shot, uh, nice swing. Hey, nice swing, Smooth. Freddie. Nice swing, Freddie. Run. Oh, they're chanting his name every time he comes up to bat. Oh. I wonder what the Braves thought of that. I don't know. I did enjoy that uh, the what career or the current leaders in saves for the Braves pitches for the Dodgers and the current leader in saves yes. for the uh, Dodgers pitches Pitch for, the, for Braves. the Braves. That was, that was, that was yeah. nice too. So. Sitting sit, sit in the uh, bullpen last night, Kenley. They didn't need you. Are you? Uh, or have you yelled at Craig Kimbrell yet? He hasn't. He hasn't blown anything yet, has he? No. What did he do last night? I didn't like. Uh, he got the save. I think he. I think he gave up a one base runner and won the and but got yeah, the save. Yeah. Uh, and I you were, I were you mad? Not after Bellinger hit the home run to make it seven four. Oh, that's right. Cody yeah, Bellinger hit yeah. a home run. How about that weirdo? So every since the game, ever since the season has started, I, I, you might know this. He's gone two zero two zero two zero two zero. He either gets two hits or zero hits. Really? Yes. <laughs> it's gone two zero two zero two zero. Last night he had two hits. He had a, he had a double and a home run. That's actually like really good if he does yes, that for an entire yes. season. <laughs> He's going to be incredible. Uh, look at Cody Bellinger. You were you so hatred of Cody Bellinger. Unbelievable. He's back, Ed. He's back. He's a little back. <laughs> He's a little back. He's not all the way back. He's at 245, 250, which for him after last year, my goodness, it's a huge jump. K-Long told me a couple days ago, I, you got to get rid of this echo. <laughs> can't talk. Drunk. Whatever. <laughs> Speaking of not being back, go ahead. Dallas beat Utah 110-104 last night. Jalen Brunson had 41. Do you believe the Mavericks can win a series without Luka? I don't think so. I don't think they can. And I don't think he's playing. And I thought you and I, uh, well, you and I said it yesterday. It's This is going to be a game-to-game. Game. He's just not going to play. Yeah. I'll be shocked if he plays in the series. Now, you're saying without, if he comes back, he won't be 100%. That's not an injury you're over in a week. It's a calf, right? Yes, I believe Yeah, so. that's, he's not coming back 100% even if he plays. So, yeah, I, I don't think they can. Do you? I don't think they can beat him if, if he's not back. Is Jalen Brunson going to score 41? Uh, probably not. Um, I think it'll be a pretty good series in terms of it might go long. Uh, I don't know how much people will watch it, uh, given that it's the Mavericks and the Jazz and the one player anybody from that series would want to watch is not actually playing in it. And it's sort of assumed the winner is just going to lose to the Suns in like five games anyways. Um, 
But unfortunately, it was the one like close game that actually came down to the fourth quarter yesterday, and it was buried on NBA TV, so nobody got to watch it. I don't care about him. Next question. Debo Samuel, A.J. Brown, and Terry McLaurin will not practice until they have new contracts, according to Adam Schefter. My first question is, did they call each other? What? <laughs> were they, they, were, they were in a conference call. They were, you know what? They were on uh, Jason Fitz's WhatsApp. And they all kind of downloaded the app and started talking. They're on a WhatsApp, like I'm I'm on a WhatsApp with my family, you know, if, if texting doesn't work. And you kind of get in there, and then you you see the two blue check marks, which means it's been read. So I, I guarantee A.J. Brown did like a little uh, comment, and he had to wait around for Terry McLaurin and Debo Samuel to hit the blue checks. Um, yeah, this this is so weird that they all say this at the same time. Yeah. So it's all not three, weird given some of what the wide receivers are making now, though. Right. All three basically uh, are in the same situation where they've got a year left on their rookie deals. Uh, they've been good wide receivers in the NFL, and they have seen wide receivers get paid this offseason. And now they're looking around saying, well, listen, I'm eligible for an extension. Uh, give me one. I want to be paid. Give me, give, me, give me one. Give me the extension. Like Christian Kirk got what? 17 million a year from uh, yeah. Jacksonville. That's what they're most saying, pissed at. They're not right. they're, you're like, yeah, Devonte Adams. Okay. We get that. And you know, Tyree kill. We get that. But what about this guy? Yeah. Devo Sanders look on saying, hold on. Christian Kirk got paid. How much? <laughs> and you're not going to give me an extension. So all three of them. And I think uh, I'll be curious to see what happens, but I have to imagine San Francisco and Tennessee for sure give these guys extensions because those two teams are going to go to the playoffs. These are like their number one uh, pass game weapons. Like I, I would imagine those two teams for sure give them contracts. Washington, maybe simply because their team expectations are lower. Maybe they don't. Maybe they say, yeah, Terry McLaurin. All right, play it out. Or if you don't, well, we're going to suck anyway. So we don't need you. So, I'm curious to see, but I, I have to imagine ultimately all three get paid because it probably makes sense for all three teams to pay these players because they're good, they're young, and they're playing an important position. What's the solidarity level really here? Because if Debo Samuel gets paid today, does he say, <laughs> listen, guys, it was fun, but I got mine, so I'm going to practice? I mean, are, do, do they all have the same agent? Uh, that's a good I question. Mean, what I, if they, I mean, if they had the same agent, I guess it would make sense. My guess is they don't, though. Can you imagine if you're the 49ers and you offer Debo Samuel a contract? It's great. And he's like, this, everything's great about it. But I can't sign until the Titans and the Commanders yeah. sign Terry McLaurin. <laughs> what? Well, I'm not awesome. signing until all three of us get the deal. That it would be great. But I, I kind of loved the idea of all three of these guys being like, you know what? Let's stick together. Let's yes. all sit out and do this together. Yeah, it's great. Man. Let's let's reset. We'll see they should all that. get. They should all end up getting the same exact contract, too. Right, they should all be like, we're all same, signing the same thing. You better offer it to us or we're, we're sitting out. Wow, sorry. Um, I got you. Thank you. Sorry, sorry. UNLV and BYU had football games scheduled for 2023 and 2024, a home and home. It has been canceled. BYU is joining the Big 12 starting in the 2023 season. So they are having to get rid of some of their games they had already scheduled because they'll actually have conference games for once. Um, can I say I am very disappointed? UNLV playing opponents. There's not many opponents that the fan base truly cares about. Yeah, right. Huge, Obviously, huge when BYU they play, population here. 
Right. Obviously, when they play Nevada, the the fan base, the UNLV fan base cares. They want to beat Nevada. But almost everybody else they play, it's just, hey, okay, cool, Utah State, even San Diego State, where there's a basketball rivalry, it doesn't really exist in football. In football. But it does in football for BYU. Even yeah. though UNLV is not on the same level, even though they're generally not competitive, there is still a general dislike, hatred for BYU that makes the build-up to those games a lot more fun. So I'm disappointed that we don't get UNLV-BYU. That's one of the games that I would most look forward to UNLV football playing on a regular, semi-regular, even just once type of basis. Well, they have to play some non-conference games, so it kind of stinks that they canceled this one. Right. I mean, they, they have yeah. to have some non-conference. They have to have like two or three non-conference games, even if they're in the Big 12. I, look, I don't know who BYU is scheduled to play, but given their fan base here, you would have thought they might hold on to this one so they could play in Allegiant Stadium because probably be more BYU fans than UNLV fans. Well, they might. They they'd probably looked at the schedule and said, "Oh, we got to play Kansas every year." All right, we'll take UNLV off the schedule. Those yeah. are the same teams. Oh, Next question. Standing in your corner. Next question. That was louder than I wanted it. Matt Corral is visiting the Falcons and the Saints, and here's what I find interesting about this year's draft of quarterbacks a we've got the general idea that all these quarterbacks suck b there's not a lot of teams that don't really have a guy they could start right now um because even these two teams the saints have Jameis winston the falcons went out and got marcus Mariota, and not that you're not trying to find upgrades over those two guys but i think both teams most likely those are their game one starters i'm curious to see how many teams draft Matt Corral, Desmond Ritter, Malik Willis, Kenny Pickett, Sam Howell, any of these quarterbacks with the intention of, hey, we're going to sit this guy behind a Marcus Mariota type, behind a Jameis Winston type for a couple of years and see if he's any good in year three or whatever that is. Because I have a feeling that might end up being the most likely outcome for all of these quarterbacks. Because I don't know how yeah, many are getting well drafted to start right away. I'm trying. I, I don't know how many are getting drafted to start right away either, and I'm trying to think of all the teams that might be able to do this. That kind of have these bridge guys. I mean, Mariota's a bridge. I don't know if they're. I don't know if they took Marcus Mariota thinking he's going to start for the next five years. So that would make sense. Jameis, I don't know about Jameis. He he's interesting to me in terms of how long they foresee him being the starter. But Matt Corral would be a guy who you could sit for a few years and has a lot of talent, and you know have him learn and learn the system, and you know hopefully be good. I think the main problem there, there, well, there's a few problems with it. One, if you're the Saints or the Falcons or any of these teams that end up drafting them, you're probably better off drafting a different position for a player you might actually consider playing on putting on the field next year. But it kind of sets you up in a very weird situation at the quarterback spot where if you're, let's say you're the Saints and you draft Matt Corral, you have Marcus Mariota, or excuse me, you have Jameis Winston. And you have Jameis Winston for a couple of years. And if Jameis Winston is a good quarterback, then you're just not ever going to play Matt Corral and he's going to move on, which would probably be fine, but a wasted pick. If Jameis Winston isn't any good, or if Matt Corral ends up being better, you're ultimately going to end up wasting a year and maybe two of that quarterback on the rookie contract. So if the quarterback ends up being good, you threw away the two most valuable years that he has contract-wise in the NFL on his rookie deal. So it puts you in a weird spot. Oh, and it puts you in a weird spot where if you have Jameis Winston and Matt Corral and you still think you might need a quarterback of the future, in next draft, when the quarterback class is supposed to be good, are you pulling an Arizona Cardinals and drafting a Kyler Murray even though you just took Josh Rosen? Yeah. So it puts you in a weird, weird spot 
to draft one of these quarterbacks and sit them because you don't get the information on these quarterbacks of, hey, is this guy any good? You're kind of prolonging that and putting your organization in. Again, if one of them turns out good, fine, but it's still not taking full advantage of drafting a quarterback in the first or second. Maybe they should just trade for Jordan Love. Probably. That's what I would do. Start that. Give up a third-round pick for him and start him. It'd be great. Next question. Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers will compete against Josh Allen and Pat Mahomes in the match. They're coming to Vegas to golf. What happened to having professional golfers in this? When I saw this yesterday, I said Brady, Rodgers, Josh Allen, Patrick. And I paused because I'm like, wait a minute. Aaron Rodgers isn't a pro and Josh Allen's not a pro. So why are these guys involved here? Because I always liked it when it was a pro with with the quarterback. I don't know why. I don't. I mean, this will be watched, I'm sure, because it's Mahomes and Brady. I, I have, they're probably all good golfers. I know Brady is a really good golfer, but I, I'd rather have a pro with them. Like I'd rather have a pro with them and see how the how the quarterbacks respond to a pro. I mean, we've seen Brady do it. Rogers, they're they're good golfers. Um, but yeah, I uh, I was surprised that they went all quarterbacks here. I don't know how well the play is going to be given that. All right, coming up next, what a busy day for UNLV basketball. Did they actually get better yesterday? No one wants to get embarrassed. No one wants to get their ass kicked, you know, on national TV. You know, that's two games in a row where you're in the game, then snap the finger, you're out of the game. And it just seems like it happens that quick. Uh, And so I think it's just frustration. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Yesterday. Big day for UNLV. They landed two transfers out of the transfer portal. Elijah Harkless is coming from Oklahoma. He averaged 10 points per game last year. Elijah Parquette is coming from Colorado, where he averaged just under seven points per game last year. But UNLV also lost Kyron Lindsay. Uh, That was their top 100 recruit that was supposed to be coming in for next season. He decommitted. He reopened his commitment. Uh, Carlin Hartman had been the lead recruiter. Hartman left to go take a job with Florida. So UNLV lost a recruit, gained two transfers. Uh, Ed, would you classify yesterday as a good day or a bad day for UNLV? You're going to have to tell me how good Elijah Parquet and Elijah and uh, uh, <laughs> Elijah Harkless is. Did he play? Do you saying he was local for two years at CSN? Uh, no, not CSN, uh, oh, okay. CSUN, okay. North, okay. Cal State Northridge. Yeah, okay, All right. my Northridge. bad, my bad. Um, I, I misread that. Uh, you know, you have the, uh, I know you you put the rankings out yesterday, didn't see like Parquet was, uh, um, was he the one that was in the 500s or, or that, that's the no, kid he was they in already the got 200s, yeah. 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 So I don't Evan know, Maya. I mean, look, Last year, I thought Royce Ham was a good guy, a good uh, transfer in Donovan Williams. You just never know, and and it seems like these guys played a little bigger roles than those guys did at their school. So I think it's bad to lose Lindsey. He was a four star, he was a four star uh, um, uh, recruit, and he decommitted. And I think what happened was this is what happens a lot of times. You know, kids kids always say, well, it was like a family it was a family. And, you know, they they commit to coaches. People think they commit to schools. They commit to coaches. So when Carlin Hartman left and he was the lead recruiter on him, I guess I'm not surprised Kyrie Lindsay decided to go. Because if Carlin Hartman had the best relationship with him, sometimes kids say, you know what, that's the guy I really wanted to play for. And it's n- no rap against Kevin. This happens everywhere except for probably really, really high-level Bill Self, John Calipari, people like that. But a lot of programs, you really know the assistant better than the head coach. 
because they're the one who's at your games most of the time. They're the ones who deal with a lot of AAU coaches. So I guess Kyron Lindsay leaving didn't shock me, Tyler, because Carlin Hartman was the lead recruit on him. And a lot of times that was ha- that's what happens with kids. No, it's not that surprising at all that Kyron Lindsay ended up leaving. He might end up being the best player of these three, of players, the three players from yeah. yesterday. And here's here's what I'm very fascinated to see with Kevin Kruger and Elijah Harkless. So, for, well, first off, I'll give you that. Elijah Parquet, a defense first wing, is sort of the expectation that UNLV is getting. He's played four years at Colorado, really never averaged more than seven points per game, didn't shoot very well from three actually did have good numbers finishing around the rim but didn't very small sample size but colorado voted him their best defensive player this past year he was on the all pac 12 defensive team two seasons ago you're getting a defense first guard in elijah parkett he'll probably be useful in that role here's what i'm curious on elijah harkless though he's coming from oklahoma obviously kevin kruger has ties to oklahoma uh average 10 points per game last year on a big 12 school that's obviously good my, I guess, fear or my question is, is this their best player next year? Does Kevin Kruger view Elijah Harkless as their best player this year? Because I think Elijah Harkless is going is a very good addition for UNLV and he'll likely be one of their best players next season. But Elijah Harkless, his college basketball career has shown he, there's no way he's going to be efficient enough to be the leading offensive player on an NCAA tournament team. Throughout his career, he shot 33% from three, which is pretty average, right? He's never taken a lot of threes, right? If he's going to be the number one option, he's going to be shooting at a much higher volume and probably shooting more difficult shots from three, and he only shot 33% over his career. He has not finished at the rim very well in his career either. He's below average finishing at the rim. Last year on Oklahoma, of their top 10 used players, He had the third worst offensive rating of those top 10 for Oklahoma. Bart Torvik, which they project players for next year, he's already projected to have the seventh best offensive rating for UNLV next season. So you're saying they did not get a better player than Bryce Hamilton so far? No, I I do not think so. And here's, I, I guess, if we're trying to project what players are when they transfer, it can be really hard, right? Donovan Williams and Royce Ham didn't play at all at Texas. They come to UNLV, and they were both very good Mountain West players. The key difference with Elijah Harkless, we have two seasons of evidence of him at Cal State Northridge. We have two seasons of him playing at a lower level than at UNLV, and his efficiency wasn't much better at Cal State Northridge than it was at Oklahoma. So I don't think there's a real expectation for Elijah Harkless to come to UNLV and suddenly be much more efficient. He's just He doesn't make enough shots to be the number one option. He's a he's a good player. He's a good defender, or it projects to be a good defender, right? He's a useful offensive player, right? But I think they're going to have to have somebody better than Elijah Harkless on this team for them to actually be a true contender in the Mountain West. And listen, if they find that guy, great. This Elijah Harkless edition is phenomenal. It's, it's going to be a great uh, pickup. But if they're counting on Elijah Harkless to be the number one guy, I think we're looking at a long season. Uh, are these guys both COVID last years? Uh, yes, they both have. Okay. They both played four years of college basketball. Okay. They've got one more year. and, and So they they're Royce Ham. They want. Yes, they are. Okay. All right. It seems like he's, I mean, you know, he had Royce Ham last year, though Donovan Williams comes back. Um, he's taking guys with one year left, uh, trying to build a team. Um, I don't know if, 
I mean, you're excited, a little excited about Elijah Harkless. I don't know if I'm excited about both at this point, and I, I don't want to take shots at them. I don't know much about them. I'm just seeing the numbers you've put out there. But I will say, if your premise the entire time has been that to get to the NCAA tournament, they have to have someone better than Bryce Hamilton, then they haven't done that yet. No, they have not. They so, absolutely have not. The What you're hoping for right now, if you're UNLV, because listen, guys can always transfer out. Like more guys can transfer out oh, of UNLV, sure. but the, the roster's getting pretty full. There's not a ton of spots left until guys start leaving. What you're hoping for at this point, based on the roster, is that Kevin Kruger is a tremendous developmental coach. Mm-hmm. That he is going to turn Keyshawn Gilbert from a good defender but bad offensive player into a great Mountain West guard next year. That he is going to turn David Mawaka, who came on late last year, into an awesome rim protector. And that he's going to take these transfers and that Elijah Harkless, who shot 33% from three from his career is now shooting 38% from three, and that his shot below 60% on layups is now shooting 68% on layups. That's what you're hoping for. And it's possible, right? We saw Donovan Williams and Royce Ham sort of blow up last year under Kevin Kruger, given more playing time. So it's possible, but that I think is, that to me is not something I'd be optimistic about happening. This team's got enough talent to be a competitive Mountain West team, but I don't know that this team is better than last year's team and they've got to be better than last year's team to be in the ncaa tournament conversation and in the mountain west championship conversation and right now i think we're looking at another team that goes 19 and 14 and finishes fourth or fifth in the mountain west and you look around and say well it was a fine team but nothing really that you're excited about well it can't hurt that they're both really good defensive players Right, and that I think, like, if you if you want to play out one of the lineup possibilities, they can put out a team that just has, like, five good defensive guys that can't score. <laughs> like, okay. like, they might be able to put out a team that, like, Keyshawn Gilbert, Victor Ewalker, Elijah Parkett. I guess Elijah Harkless can score. But, like, you can, you can run out five guys that are like, wow, the other team might only score seven points in an entire half. That- UNLV is only going to score six. But the other team's only putting up seven in 20 minutes. They're going to be San Diego State? Yeah, basically. <laughs> and that, that might be – I mean, he's talked – when Kevin Kruger was asked about San Diego State, he talked a lot about how they're the model program of the Mountain West. And so there might be a level of, hey, let's build this like San Diego State. Let's be a top 20 defensive team in the country. Right. And right. you know what? We might not be able to score, but nobody's scoring on us, and we're going to win some games 61-59. to 59. So he's the only coach that's coming out at his uh, his press conference. And go, we will not run. We will dribble. Well, no, they st- no, they still want to run. They still want to oh, run. Okay. Just run just for not, fun. They're not going to score. They're going to run, run up and down, but there might not be very much scoring because they're going to be really good defensively. So it's I mean, they can put a really good defensive lineup out on the floor. I just have a lot of question marks as to who's actually scoring at a high enough rate or an efficient enough rate for them to be an NCAA tournament level team. Coming up next, Charles McDonald joins the show. The Press Box, Path to the Draft, here on ESPN Las Vegas, 1100 AM and 100.9 FM, is brought to you by the iconic Sahara Las Vegas. Joining us now is Charles McDonald. You can follow him on Twitter, at 4Verts. Good morning, Charles. I have an important question for you. Do you think Debo Samuel, Terry McLaurin, and A.J. Brown all called each other and said, let's hold out together? Uh, no, I think that they looked at the Christian Kirk, con- Christian Kirk contract and said, what the hell? I'm better than that guy. Uh, and that's kind of where it started. And I think 
pretty easy to make a case to all three of those guys that are a lot better than Christian Kirk. Uh, yeah, I remember I was talking to my buddy, uh, John Shipley, who does a tremendous job covering the Jaguars for uh, uh, Sports Illustrated. And he was like, dog, like these agents are saying that that Christian Kirk deal might have screwed everything up, but in a good way for them, right? Because those guys are about to get a cut on a on their new agent, on their new player's deal. So, like, if you're Terry McLaurin, A.J. Brown, let alone Debo Samuel, you see some guy who's never had a 1,000-yard season get a deal that's worth up to $21 million a year, there's no way I'm showing up to camp. And, look, that's not, um, that's, that's not the team's fault because, honestly, like, I kind of think even the idea of paying, like, Terry McLaurin, like, $20 million a year is, like, kind of crazy. Uh we just saw what Denzel Ward yesterday get a deal like in the same range, you know, five years, a hundred million dollars. Which is, you know, if you're going to be someone that is coming off a rookie contract and you feel like you deserve a long-term deal from your team, uh, a five-year deal like makes sense. But man, giving a five-year, hundred million-dollar deal to Terry McLaurin, a five-year, hundred million-dollar deal to you know even Debo Samuel, who they use like a running back, it's kind of a tough, uh, tough call. But like, if you're just going to recenter this from the player's perspective. Hell yeah, you should sit out. Uh, because if you're better than Christian Kirk, and basically how NFL contracts have worked forever is just kind of like an escalating scale of who, whoever gets paid the most recently is the highest paid player in the league. Uh, yeah, you should absolutely, absolutely go for it if you're an absolute receiver that is better than Christian Kirk, which is no offense to Christian. Actually, he got that bad, but there's a lot of receivers that should be asking for, for raises after that contract. So this isn't going to be Debo gets paid and says, hold on, now my buddies haven't gotten paid. I'm just going to stay out of <laughs> no, here. No, I don't think they're all concerned about that. I think they're looking like, hey, he got paid that, so I should be getting paid a lot more. Uh, and like when you look at the, like the Devontae Adams deal, I'm sure Devontae Adams, I'm sure when the Packers saw that Christian Kirk deal, they were like, okay, well, Devontae, it's been real, but you're going to ask for something crazy, as you should that we can't uh, get. And you know, Devontae almost got $30 million a year from the Raiders, uh, as he should have. But, yeah, like like I said, it's the Christian Club deal that threw the whole NFL out of whack because you have a whole lot of receivers uh, rightfully looking at that deal and saying, I should be getting way more than that guy makes based on what I do in the field. What do you think happens with Kyler Murray and the Cardinals? Because it's kind of been a weird <laughs> offseason. Um. Honestly, I've, I think they, they eventually end up coming to a contract agreement uh, over there. It's playing chicken. Like, the, the, the Cardinals, they saw how badly it can get without a player like Kyler Murray on the center because they moved on to Kyler Murray so quickly. So, you know, I, I think when you look at the historical precedent of where the Cardinals were coming from when they got Kyler, uh, they were kind of in no man's land after the Carson Palmer years for a few seasons, and then, you draft Josh Rose, and you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> that was not what we thought it was. Uh, you move on uh, fairly quick after that. You get Kyler Murray, obviously, just a dynamic talent. Uh, you know, I'm, I still, I, I, mean, I think part of the Kyler stuff is our, our uh, expectations for these guys when they're coming to the league is so warped now because I think a lot of these guys are, are really, honestly, the quarterback prospects that we get, even a down year like this. Uh, there's still a handful of guys that could end up as starters in the league. And I, I just think that when you look at the overall quarterback play, um, it's it's pretty strong around the league, but it doesn't mean that these guys don't need time to, you know, get things going in their own careers. And, you know, I know that Kyler Murray hasn't won a playoff game yet, but he is a huge reason to why they were able to get 
uh, to the playoffs, even if it kind of fell apart in the back half of the season as it has uh, the past couple of years for the Cardinals. You know, I'm I'm a little confused at like why they're both playing hardball on this. I know you know Kyler is a guy who is very serious about his dollars, so I know that he's probably going to he and you know and Eric Burkhardt is, is an assassin when it comes to this stuff. Uh, so I, I you know I think that they're kind of trying to play the long game here for some money, but you know at the at the end of the day. You don't really see, unless it's a situation like Deshaun Watson, you don't really see these guys move on from their teams after their rookie quarterback if they're considered a hit, which I think that Kyler Murray absolutely should be considered a hit as a draft pick. I mean, you know, you've had two seasons in a row now where at least for the first eight seasons, you're getting like the first eight games uh, of the season, you're getting like legit MVP type of quarterback play. So I think for the Cardinals, Kyler, kiss, make up, figure out why this torpedoes every year in the back half of the year because. We know, like, we can see there's long stretches of play for Kyler Murray. We are like, this is a legitimate franchise quarterback. And not only that, someone who has the talent to put up, like, legitimate MVP numbers. It's just more about the consistency, consistency through the whole season. But that's not a player you walk away from, uh, walk away from especially if you are where Arizona was and Josh Rosen just a couple seasons ago. We've talked so much about Baker Mayfield, but I'm, I'm interested in another guy who's not going to show up for voluntary offseason. They say he's rehabbing his shoulder. Is Jimmy Garoppolo going anywhere? He, I, I don't know. I was about to say he has to, but uh, I don't know. They, the 49ers, they're, they, they don't really seem to operate like anyone else because you know, at this point, I'm just baffled at why they haven't taken the L on the trade value. Because they, they, you know, there's, I, I think the 49ers are kind of in the spot where there's what you think you should get for Jimmy Garoppolo and then like kind of the reality of what the quarterback market looks like right now in the NFL. I mean, what what's the what's the market? It's just two teams, right? Carolina and uh, Seattle. Those are the only teams in the like, entire league that don't have guys that you would consider, all right, we're going to start them week one, uh, 2022, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. Uh, even a team like the Texans, they're feeling good about Davis Mills. I wish they probably shouldn't. I think that kind of goes back to the point of, you know, there's a lot of quarterback talent in the league right now. And I think what I mean by that is more than like the baseline for just competent, watchable quarterback play, I think is higher uh, than ever. So, you know, a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo, just not probably going to be, probably not going to be valued maybe as much as he or the 49ers think that it should. But do you really want to create a situation where you're coming back to camp with Jimmy G and Trey Lance again? Like, is that really what, what you, what you want to do for your 49ers? Like, you spent three first round picks on the guy. You got to go for it because you have to figure out what you want or what he is as a quarterback. Because let's say you decide to trade Trey Lance today, you're not going to get the same value back that you traded to get him. You might as well just run it with him. Uh, and I think part of that is going to be taking less on the Jimmy Garoppolo trade uh, than you know you thought you were going to get because it's twofold. You know the teams know that you have to trade you have to trade him to start Trey Lance, and two, there's just not a whole lot of quarterback spots out there. So if you're Carolina. And you're Seattle. I don't, I don't think they're trading to Seattle. So really, like, if you're really just Carolina, uh, I'm not in any hurry to get that thing done because I know, like, even if I trade for Jimmy G, he's a lot better than Sam Darnold is. But uh, that's still a ceiling on what you can be as a team. And I don't think you need to chase that with premium draft resources. That they also don't have. <laughs> I uh, have seen the same sentiment from a few people that are, are getting into the NFL draft over the last couple of months that basically say, "Wow." Trying to watch one player's defense is impossible because there's so many good players out there. 
How many NFL teams should just trade in their entire defense for Georgia's defense from last year? Oh, man. I'll start with my team. Atlanta absolutely should. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I don't even think it's close. Georgia had a better defensive line than the Falcons did last year. Easily. <laughs> um, and the, <laughs> hey, hey, Green Jarrett's a nice player. He's good. Really good. He ain't Jordan Davis, Devontae Wyatt, and Jalen Carter. You know? That's three first-round picks right there. Um, you got two first-round linebackers, first-round safety, another second-round linebacker. I mean, it's crazy. Uh, and it, I didn't even get to Jermon Walker. He might be a top-five pick. So, look, I'll start with the Falcons. They absolutely should. And not even that, like, let's say let, – let, 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 me, let me flip it to this. How many teams – let's say you could take last year's Georgia's defense, right? All the players on Georgia's defense. And – you have the option to let go of every player on your defense, take the players to the Georgia defense, and all of them get a four-plus-one contract. How many teams would do that? Like, let's say you could take 19-year-old Jalen Carter, who might be like the best player in the draft and she's eligible this year, and you can hold him for four years. Or you can hold these other five stars they got. That's kind of, I think that's kind of an interesting, uh, an interesting question. Like, if you could go back to the, the, the season where Alabama had you know, Devontae Smith, Henry Ruggs, uh, Gary Judy, and John Metchie as like the fourth wide receiver. You could say, all right, you have to let go of your receiver court, but you're going to let you get, get these guys to go together for the next you know, four or five years. I feel like a lot of teams might swap out their receiver groups for you know potential what they have right now. And I think we and you know this is obviously only valid for historically good units like that Alabama wide receiver room or uh, this Georgia defense. But you know it is kind of crazy that when you look through the 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 list of guys that Georgia has on their defense, they have like seven guys that could get drafted in the top 60 picks, which is unbelievable. And honestly, when you watch them, it's all merited because uh, you know, if you're going to be a defense that allows like a, something like 0. .3 or 0. .4 points per drive, which is just historically low, probably maybe the lowest ever. Obviously, it's going to be a lot of good players, but the fact that they've all nailed the draft process from showing up the combine, all blowing it up. I mean, Jordan Davis, Jamal Walker, Lewis Seen, Quay Walker, Shane Sindal, they all post, like, all-time combat. Even Devontae Wyatt, too. Uh, and they've all nailed it, and it just is all shows on tape. Like, all these guys are so good. And I know I'm a, I'm a fan. I'm probably fanboying a little bit, but I just don't think you can really go wrong with any of these guys. And, uh, yeah, if I was the Falcons and I had the chance to sub out where I was for the potential of the whole new Georgia defense for four years, I would do that for sure. Well, he is Charles McDonald. Again, follow him on Twitter at 4Verts. His new podcast is The Exemplist. Charles, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks, Charles. All right. Thanks. Uh, 100%, if you've got a bad defense, you should take George's entire defense for the next five years. Well, especially if you get him for five years. <laughs> and he made a good point on the Alabama receivers as well. Right. I think, oh. people, I think people would have done that in a second. The receiver one, everybody, yeah, everyone yeah. would have, right? I mean, I guess we know what we know now about you know Jerry Judy and uh, and everybody else that was in that <laughs> wide receiver room, but yeah, you, everybody, you're you're doing that because you're getting four NFL level wide receivers right. for like five dollars. Like that's the other, like you're getting them on rookie contracts, so you're doing it for like five dollars. Even even if you had uh, whatever great Devonte Adams, like. Devontae Adams is better than those guys, but Devontae Adams is now getting paid a bunch of money. Those guys are going to get paid $5. So, yeah, it's fun. Georgia defense, really good. I'm excited to see how many guys actually get drafted off that defense. Coming up next, is Baker Mayfield actually going to end up with the Panthers eventually? 
That was the Press Box Path to the Draft, brought to you by the iconic Sahara Las Vegas, here on ESPN Las Vegas, 1100 AM and 100.9 FM. You know what's going to happen game two? They're going to be talking more smack up there in Boston. I played in Boston two years, but... Listen, it happens to the best of us. You don't think people said stuff to Charles Barker, said stuff to, to Akeem Olajuwon? Hey, come on, man. Please stop, man. Please man, stop at you athletes today whining like Bill little. Bill Russell went through it early on. Come on, man. <laughs> come on, man. Yeah, man up. Check this out. This is on replay. Just as we went to commercial break, all of a sudden, Will Barton and DeMarcus Cousins had a little infighting between the Nuggets. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. So, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm here. I'm here. So, Baker Mayfield and Jimmy Garoppolo, neither one has been traded yet, despite the assumption that neither one wants to play for the teams that they're currently on. Uh, but according to John Alexander, the Carolina Panthers could actually end up making a move for one of these two quarterbacks. As of now, I guess Sam Darnold would still be the starting quarterback in Carolina. Um, but Baker and Jimmy Garoppolo could be headed to the Panthers at some point in this offseason. First off, on the Carolina Panthers side, has any team struck out in one offseason as much as the Panthers no. have a quarterback? That's why I say it's not Garoppolo, it's not Baker Mayfield, it's Kenny Pickett. <laughs> I think it's Kenny Pickett at pick number six in the draft. Oh, look at that. So they, I mean, they've tried to basically get every quarterback that was available, whether it was free agency or a trade or whatever, this offseason, and they have not landed any of them, which leaves them, if they're going to add a quarterback through a trade or free agency, it would be Baker Mayfield or Jimmy Garoppolo at this point. But I think you're right that it, I don't know if it will be, but it probably should be a drafted quarterback because here's the problem for Jimmy Garoppolo and Baker Mayfield. Both of these quarterbacks have one year left on their contracts. Now, Jimmy Garoppolo's into his thirties, but Baker Mayfield's on his rookie deal. But if you are trading for one of these two guys, are you giving them a new contract? Are you trading for Baker Mayfield and immediately giving him a new contract? I don't think so at this point. Who has leverage in this point? No one else has wanted these guys. So if you if you play out the situation here, all right, you trade for either one, Baker Mayfield or Jimmy Garoppolo. And if they're good in that year one, then you're re-signing them to a longer-term deal. If they're bad, then you gave up a draft pick for one year of bad quarterback play and you let them walk? Like, that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, and it makes so much more sense to draft one of these quarterbacks Kenny Pickett, Desmond Ritter, Malik Willis, Matt Corral, Sam Howell, and let that guy be your quarterback. Right. And then you really have a rookie deal. Yeah. And if he sucks, okay, you didn't pay him very much. And you can pull a Cardinals and draft a quarterback next year if you want one. But if that guy's good, then guess what? You've got four more years yeah. of that quarterback on his rookie deal who's a good quarterback. So I to me, if I'm the Panthers, it makes so much more sense to draft a quarterback than to trade for Baker Mayfield. Or Jimmy Garoppolo. Are you surprised at Garoppolo? I think Mayfield is, there's a lot with Mayfield that comes with Mayfield. Like I told Charles, I'm I'm a little surprised that Jimmy Garoppolo hasn't been moved. I think the problem with Jimmy Garoppolo is that 
he's a quarterback that can help you win a Super Bowl, but not be the reason you win a Super Bowl. And so, like, Carolina should not acquire Jimmy Garoppolo. Carolina is not good enough to where they can win anything with Jimmy Garoppolo. We know what he is, right? The Like, take the Browns, for example. The Browns acquiring Jimmy Garoppolo probably would have been stupid, right? But the Browns acquiring Deshaun Watson means that that's a quarterback that could conceivably yeah, win be you the Super reason Bowl. you win a Super Bowl. Yeah. So there's the market for Jimmy Garoppolo is basically a really good team who has a bad quarterback. Like the Indianapolis Colts were the market for Jimmy Garoppolo, but they went and got Matt Ryan instead. So it's just it's a it's a weird market where I think if you're you can be interested in Jimmy Garoppolo, but I think it's you've got to be a very specific team where the rest of yeah. your roster's good and you just need competent quarterback play. That's what he that's what he's going to do. But now, I mean, it's Seattle, Carol, none of those teams exist, right? There's not a good team that just needs competent quarterback play anymore. So there's there shouldn't be a market. If I'm, listen, if I'm Carolina, I know what Jimmy Garoppolo is. If I trade for Jimmy Garoppolo, I know exactly what I'm getting. There's not much upside to adding Jimmy Garoppolo. So I'm not going to trade for Jimmy Garoppolo because we're not winning a Super Bowl. We're probably not making the playoffs in the next three years if Jimmy Garoppolo is the quarterback. I'm looking at, okay, well, if I draft a guy, maybe Kenny Pickett's awesome. Maybe Malik Willis is awesome. And if they're not, it's a very low risk in terms of the salary. Well, and if they're not and you're no good, you have uh, the best quarterback class, they say, in years, years, next year. Right. So I think it, I just think they're, they're in a, it's a, it's a weird spot to be in the NFL where the value at quarterback is either, hey, you're one of like the top five to eight guys, or hey, you're on a rookie contract. If you're not one of those two things, you don't have as much value. And guys like Kirk Cousins and Derek Carr have gotten paid despite not being one of those two categories. But I think we're going to run into a place where a lot of those types of quarterbacks don't end up getting paid because there's not value in having Derek Carr for $40 million. There's not value in having Kirk Cousins for $40 million, where with other guys, hey, he costs $5 and it's good to have. They're not believers in Sam Darnold, obviously. Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> should anybody be a believer no. in Sam Darnold? Boy, I remember the day they traded for him. What a welcome! Oh. Uh, what the welcome at the 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 balloons, the the party, the celebration when that guy got there. In terms of when he uh, got to the facility for the first time, they laid out the red carpet for that guy. The the main hope for getting Sam Darnold was okay. Maybe Adam Gase just ruined this kid, and we can fix him because <laughs> we're not Adam Gase. But even that didn't work out for Sam Darnold.